Have you ever thought about uh, winning the lottery? You know, some of you here maybe play the lottery often, some of you maybe never play, but when the Powerball is over 100 million, you know, you're like thinking, maybe I should get one ticket. You know, just in case someone has to win, maybe it could be me, right? If it's 200 million, maybe you'll get two tickets, right? Because you think about the lottery and you're like, man, what would it be like? $100 million, $200 million, $50 million, a million dollars. What would it be like to have that amount of money? See, the studies actually, in terms of the reports of what happens when someone wins a lottery, they're, they're not good. Now, in general, uh, it's a negative effect on people's lives. Some people win the lottery, they win a million dollars or a hundred million and they manage the money well and they're able to say no to people and, and their life is okay. But the majority of people spend it all and go into debt or they lose all of their friendships because family members and friends, once they found out that they won $100 million, they believe that they're entitled to a chunk of it. And so everybody starts asking for money and it's very difficult to say no when you have $100 million. Some people have been murdered. Some people are repeatedly robbed. See, most people that win the lottery, they kind of come upon this extreme wealth. It changes them and it changes their life and the majority of people not for the better, and you think about this, or you think about if you win $100 million or 200 or 50 or however much money you win, you're like, yeah, but Carter, that wouldn't be me, you know? I would invest it, and I would say no to people, and I don't care if I lose all my friends because I got $100 million, you know? Like, and I'd buy the best security system on my home, and I don't gotta worry about murder, I'm good, right? You, th- you, you tell yourself that if I win, I'm gonna be different than everybody else, because I'll manage it well. It won't change me. It's not going to change who I am. But see, the reality is, is that money in general, whether or not you win the lottery, just for all of us, is a double-edged sword of blessings and curses. And the, the problem for us is when we imagine what it would be like to win the lottery or to have a whole bunch of money or to have our salary doubled or to get that high-paying job that we're working after, We are enticed by it. We are excited by it. And it wells up this feeling in us of just pure happiness because we believe that there are going to be these wonderful blessings associated with it. We don't think about the curses. We don't think about the negative aspects of having a lot of wealth. We think about all the things that we're going to be able to do, what we're going to be able to buy, how we're going to feel secure, all the things that we're going to be able to experience that are going to make us happy We don't think about the curses. Tonight, as we are near the end of our series, we're in week eight of our series called Vintage Wisdom, as we're dealing in the book of Proverbs, we're talking about money. If you didn't get it, you can see the dollar signs on the worship program as well as the screen behind me. And this, I understand, this topic is a very sensitive topic in the church. Here's why. There's a stereotype that all the church cares about is your money. So the church likes to talk about money because we want you to give your money to the church because it's a business and we're just trying to figure out how to get more money. Well, if you've been with us for a couple weeks, I would hope you would realize that that's not who we are. We are going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about what wisdom looks like in regards to money and we're going to deal with it as scripture reveals it in the book of Proverbs and other passages in scripture because this is a major theme in the entire Bible, how you view your money, how you use your money. 
But it is a sensitive topic in the church because you're always feeling like, oh, they're just trying to get me to give more. See, we're, we're asking that you might come into this text tonight thinking about the resources and the wealth that God has given you, regardless of how many zeros are on your paycheck. And you ask yourself the question, am I using my money the way that God has asked me to use it? Am I generous? Am I using it for the sake of the gospel? Am I missional with my money, or am I falling into some of the traps that Proverbs reveals? Because Proverbs is very practical in terms of how we use our money. So we're going to dive in. Here's what it says in Proverbs 10, starting in verse 15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. So right here at the very beginning, Proverbs 10, the ver verse 15, is dealing with economic status. It says, wisdom is coming to us in the book of Proverbs, and it's saying that it is actually a negative to be poor and rich. Both states are negatives because the rich value their money as the source of their security. They find security in the fact that they have a lot of money. Look what it says. It says, the rich man's wealth is his strong city. The temptation of those that are wealthy, that have a lot of money, that have an abundance of resources, is to believe that they are safe, that they are good, that they are okay because they have money. They have all the things they need. They're building up the walls. They're expanding their kingdom because they're increasing their wealth. They can buy what they want. They can do what they want. They don't have to worry about their bills. But it's more than just that. It's not just that they have financial security. But what happens with wealth is it doesn't only lead to greed, it leads to pride. And so what happens for the rich is that they begin to believe that not only are they financially secure, but they're morally secure, they're emotionally secure, they're spiritually secure because they don't need anyone. I don't need your support. I don't need your help. I figured it out on my own. I got, I got all the money I need. I don't need to worry. I'm Therefore, because I have money, I'm a good person. I have money, so I'm emotionally balanced and secure. I don't need a savior. That's for people that are weak, because I have money. So that's the trappings of it, is that not only does it lead to greed, but it leads to pride. It leads you to begin to believe that you have this strong city around you that makes you feel safe and secure because you have wealth. But you, in time, will find out that Biggie was right, mo' money, mo' problems right? But see, it says the other side is actually also a negative as well. It's not only a negative to be rich because of the temptation to feel secure because you have a lot of money and you're building up this strong city around you, but it's also a negative to be poor because the temptation there is to do whatever is necessary to get more money because you think that is going to make you secure, it says the poverty of the poor is their ruin. See, when you're in poverty, when you don't have enough, when you don't have abundance, when you don't have the strong city around you to make you feel like you're okay and everything's good, your temptation is to do whatever is necessary to start to build that city. So you steal, you borrow, you overwork yourself at the neglect of others, your family, your friends, you cut corners, you stab people in the back, you do whatever is necessary to begin to build that city. It's desperate times call for desperate measures. And so you may compromise your morals a little bit. You may do some things that you're not proud of in the shadows 
But see, what Proverbs is saying is that both sides, whether you're rich or you're poor, it leads you to pride. It leads you to begin to think that I need to accumulate wealth in order to feel secure. Whether I have it and I've earned it and so I'm good and I just need to build my walls higher or I don't have high enough walls, my city isn't strong enough, so I need to do whatever is necessary to get there. I had a professor in seminary that used to pray this prayer and he used to say, God, make me neither rich nor poor. I thought it was so strange. Like, I didn't understand why he was praying that. What was he saying? Why is he saying, God, make me neither rich nor poor? And what I realized was that he's praying, actually, Proverbs 30. Look at Proverbs 30, 8 through 9. It says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. So it says, do not make me rich or poor because I know the temptations there, and I know it's going to be really difficult for me not to neglect God and to only care about myself, to build up my walls higher or to seek money for security so I can have higher walls. Keep me in the middle. Just give me what I need. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Lest I be rich and I have so much that I think I'm good. I don't need God. I don't need a savior. I got money. Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Lest I be in a situation where I'm going to neglect the things I know are true and right and the things that God calls of me, and instead I begin to steal and I begin to do things that are against what I believe and I know is true because I, I just have to have more money. And I realize now in time that he was praying this prayer, my professor, because he knew his heart. And he knew that if he was rich or if he was poor, that would be a dangerous place for him to be because the temptation would be so great. John Piper says this in the front of your worship program. It's also on the screen behind me. He says, money exerts a certain control over us because it seems to hold out so much false promise of happiness, right? Doesn't it feel like that? Doesn't it feel like when you have money, when you see that you got that bonus, when you get that increase in your salary, when you get that job, when you stumble upon some money, when your investments go up a little bit, you're like, man, this is going to make me happy. It's this promise that if we get more, it's going to make us happy. And John Piper says, it whispers with great force, think and act so as to get into a position to enjoy my benefits. This may include stealing or borrowing or working. Money promises happiness, and we serve it by believing the promise of walking by that faith. See, we fall into the trap of believing as money whispers to us, he says, do whatever you need to do. Borrow, steal, work too much to get more money because when you do, you're gonna enjoy my benefits. You're gonna reap all the blessings. You don't, need, don't worry about the curses. There's no curses. Just do what you need to do to increase your bank account because it's gonna make you happy. And I think if we're honest, we know that we fall into this, right? That this slogan kind of feels like a lie, which is money can't buy happiness. You've heard that, we've said it, maybe you've told yourself that, someone has said, you've heard this your whole life, money cannot buy happiness, and it feels like a lie. You're like, yes, money can't buy happiness, but money can make me happy, right? Because for us, what money equals is freedom. 
And what motivates us in life is to acquire freedom and to acquire happiness. And money seems to promise both of those things, right? If I have more money, then I'm free to buy more things that will make me happy. So if I increase my bank account, if I get that bonus, if I get that job, if I do whatever is necessary to get to that next level where I can have more money, it's going to give me more freedom to buy more things that I enjoy. Therefore, I'm going to be happy and I'll finally feel secure. And I'll feel like I'm good. Think about some of those instances where you have those momentary highs of happiness. You know when you drop your phone and it finally cracks and you have to go buy a new one? You know? You go to the Apple store and you get there and you realize that the upgrade is no longer true, that you can't do the $200 thing, and you're like, wow, okay. But you got the money. You have the freedom to upgrade. You swipe the card and the person is there. They're always so nice at Apple. I don't know how they do it. They give you the phone and you take the phone and you walk home and you unwrap it. You feel something, right? You're like, wow, this is going to be awesome. It's portrait mode, you know? I know what it does, but it's going to be awesome. You go out to that nice dinner that you've been, you've been looking at this restaurant, you've been reading the reviews, you know it's going to be incredible, and you have the money to be able to get an appetizer and an entree and a dessert and a nice bottle of wine. You have that freedom, and you feel that sense of happiness. You've been researching that car for a year because your car is old and you're tired of having to go to the mechanic and you finally purchase that car. And when you get in the car and you get the keys, you've signed your life away and everything else that you've done before you got in the car, you get in the car and you drive out of the lot and you're like, that feeling, right? You're like, wow, this is my car now. Happiness. You buy that house or that condo. The realtor walks out and you're like, this is my, I can paint the walls, right? This is amazing. You invest. You go back and you check your investments in your portfolio and you've doubled your investments. And you're like, happiness, right? You feel that. Those are real moments of happiness, but they're highs of happiness, right? They eventually go away. The next year, there's a new iPhone that you have to have because it has some feature that is very little difference from the one you have, but you just feel like you have to have it, right? There's a new restaurant that's better than the one that you ate at before and you gotta go to. The car after a couple years becomes old and other people have better cars now. You get that condo, you buy that home and you're in there and eventually it wears off and you realize it's a lot more work than you thought. It's not as fun as it originally was. You check your investments the next year and they dipped and they lost a lot of money. See, what happens is we, we fall prey to the allure that money is going to give us happiness. And so if we get more money, we'll have more freedom to buy more things that will make us happy because all those little things that we just spoke about and many more give us these instant highs of happiness. And they fade, and we know they fade, but we know that we can go buy another one. And we can upgrade. And we get in this endless cycle of thinking that wealth is going to make us happy. And we're building this strong city around us. But the reality is this strong city is really a straw city. It could fall over at any moment. Because we're running after the wrong thing for happiness and security and freedom. Psalm 1611 says this, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you've spent time reading the Bible or you've been in church for a period of time and you've kind of 
scan the landscape of Genesis to Revelation, you know that the reality is, is that God is the author of all things. He is the creator of all things, which means he is the source and author of happiness and freedom and security. And what happens is, is we fall prey to believing the lie that money actually can give us those things. And so instead of going to the source, instead of going to where the water is coming out of the top of the mountain, I've never even seen this before because I don't climb mountains much, but if I did, I imagine it's coming out of a rock, right, and it's very pure. It hasn't had the time to go down the river and go through the dirt and the algae and people's feet and other stuff that happens in rivers, I don't know, but it hasn't had time to go down there. Out of the source, it's perfect and pure, but instead we settle for drinking at the bottom of the river, right? We, we, we say, no, 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 okay. I really think money can do it for me. That's going to make me happy. It's going to make me feel secure. It's going to make me feel free. And our response isn't always extreme, right? It's not as if we sit here and we say, you know what, God, yeah, I know you're the author of security and freedom and happiness, but okay, we're going to put you to the side, God. I'm just going for money. We, we convince ourselves that we can do both, Right? It's what happens for all of us. We convince ourselves that we can serve both and we can find it in both places. Jesus warns us against this in Matthew 6. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He knew our heart. He speaks right to us in 2017 as he did that we've been the same people We have always struggled and we will always struggle with believing that money can make us happy and secure and free. And Jesus is saying, be very careful. You cannot serve both God and money because you're going to love one and despise the other. You're going to hate one and run after the other. You cannot do it. There's not room in your heart to serve both. Either you drink from the source that is God to find happiness and freedom and security there, or you're going to drink down the river and you're going to realize it's full of impurities. You cannot serve both. You have to serve one or the other. And so we, we, we allow this to come in and we think about it, right? And we say, okay, I realize that. Okay, I can only serve God or money. I can only really truly run after either God or money for security, happiness, and freedom. And so I'm going to run after God for those things. But I have a question, Carter. Is it wrong if I have money? I mean, is it wrong to make a lot of money? Is it wrong for a Christian to be wealthy? It's a very important question to ask. Look at Proverbs 16, the second verse of Proverbs 10 says, the wage of the righteous leads to life and the gain of the wicked to sin. So the first part deals with the economic status and it lets you know that it is not wrong actually for you as a Christian to have money or to be wealthy. In the very first verse in verse 15 says it's actually not good to be poor or to be rich because the temptation there is too great. But here it shifts to wages and it says that the righteous and the foolish or the wicked, those that have an unhealthy understanding of money, both of them earn wages. Wages are the reward for difficult and painful work. And what it's saying here is that it's not the problem. The problem is not your paycheck. It's not how many zeros are on your paycheck. It is how you view your paycheck. It's not how large it is. It's not how big your bank account is. Now, if you have a lot, the tempta- there's going to be a, a really difficult temptation there, which you've already spoken about, to believe that money makes you 
happy. The problem is not your paycheck, it's how you view your paycheck, which affects how you use it. See, the problem with the wicked or the foolish who are earning a wage is that they fall prey to believing that they're going to build this strong city with all of these walls, and so they just use their money for themselves. They keep it close. They trust in themselves and their bank account. My, myself and my bank account is what's going to make me happy and free and secure. And they don't believe that the money that they have is God's money. It's not God's given to them. It's theirs. They earned it. So they're going to use it how they need to use it. There's a song in the Billboard Top 100. Just found out about this new artist, Post Malone. You guys heard about this guy? Right? Trying to stay up with the kids, you know. I'm trying to stay, trying to stay current. He has this, uh, these, this line, right, in his new song. It's a top 10 song. Can you believe that? He says this. Now I'm jumping out the Bentley. I know I sound dramatic. Yes, you do. But I know I had to have it. For the money, I'm a savage. You think about that, you're like, okay, Carter, Post Malone is dramatic, right? He didn't have to have a Bentley. He wanted it. But isn't it not true that there are a lot of things that we believe that we have to have? I have to have it. Maybe dramatic to other people, but I just believe I have to have it. So what happens is we become a savage for money. It becomes true of us. It's not just post Malone. For the money, we become a savage. And what we find, what Proverbs is warning against, is that if you fall to that, if you believe that false promise, it's going to ruin you. The opposite of what you thought it will produce will happen in your life. Look at Proverbs 13, verse 21. It says, disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. See, disaster here is being personified as this hunter. It's speaking in this section about wealth as well, about money. And it's saying that the irony is that the person that has an unhealthy view of money They have a foolish view of money. The people that use money for themselves and they keep it close and they're a savage for the money because they have to have all these things to make them feel free and happy and secure that eventually the very things that you run after and pursue are going to turn around and pursue you. They're going to destroy you. Disaster is going to pursue you. The cult-like following show Breaking Bad is about this. If you've seen the show, Walter White is a middle-class, average chemistry professor. He has a pregnant wife and a teenage son. And we find out in time that he's haunted by this reality that he helped found this science firm called Gray Matter, and he sold his shares early on for like $5,000, I believe, and eventually that company became worth $2.16 billion. And he didn't have a stake in it. And then he comes to find out in the very beginning of the series that he has cancer, and so you, you begin to believe as they reveal who he is and his character that he begins to, you know, do some very immoral things. He, he breaks some of the things that he never thought he would do before. He breaks some rules. He does some different He does whatever. He's a savage to make money. Why? Because he claims it's to leave for his family when he's gone. But that's not true. Walter White always sought money for happiness and security and freedom. 
There's this scene in the very beginning of the series where he's with his wife and he's beginning to take the money in. And, and she's like, we can't afford this. And he's like, why be cautious? We have nowhere to go but up. He has this vision to make as much money as possible because it will make him feel free and powerful and alive and happy and secure. And eventually what happens is everything turns around on him. And the cancer that ultimately kills him is not a physical disease. It's the love of money and greed that destroys his life. And every endeavor and every friendship and everything he ever pursued is destroyed because he was a savage for the money. He pursued it for freedom and for security and for happiness, and it ruined him. And what Proverbs is saying here is that the wise recognize this reality. They recognize that if you use money and view money as only for you, it will ruin you. It doesn't mean that the wise or the righteous don't ever spend money on themselves or they, they can't ever spend money and go to the movies or enjoy entertainment or leisure because Proverbs already told us that actually it's, it's a dangerous place to be to give all of your money away and be poor because there's a lot of temptation there. But see, how they view their paycheck and everything that has to do with the resources they accumulate is different. They view their accolades and those bonuses and the percentage increase on their salary and their portfolio and their promotions, they view it differently. They don't view it as the, an opportunity to build up this city that makes them feel secure. They use it as an opportunity to care for others. They use it for the community. They use it for life. Look what it says in verse 16. The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. See, the parallel here in Proverbs is between life and sin or life and death. It's saying that the wicked, the foolish, those have an unhealthy perspective on money. They have no eternal perspective with their wealth and their resources. None. It's theirs. Period. Whereas the righteous and the wise understand that it's not theirs. They have an eternal perspective on their resources and their wealth. That God has actually given it to them to use. It's been granted to them. Proverbs 11 reinforces, it says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So he's saying there are two types of people in the world, those who give and those who hoard. Two types of people, those who give and those who hoard. And the context makes it very clear that the person here that gives the righteous person that has a wise and healthy understanding of money gives not only for themselves. They don't spend their money only for themselves. They spend their money for others. The Hebrew word here, one gives freely, can also be tra translated as, as one who scatters freely. It's used nine times in the Bible. And it, it's used in reference to throwing freely and loosely, like scattering of seed. And so the imagery is that the righteous and wise person has their resources and their money, and they scatter them out like a farmer would scatter seeds. See, what a farmer doesn't do when they are planting and scattering seeds, they don't take a seed and put one down at a time and make sure it goes in the perfect spot. They throw it out. 
They don't throw it in the middle of nowhere, right, where it's not going to have a chance to grow. They throw it where it's going to have a very good chance to grow and be used to produce great crops, but they throw it out. There's discernment where they scatter it, but they do not control every condition about where it goes. And the parallel here is for how you use your money. How are you generous? So what it's warning against is about justifying your lack of generosity because you can't control every little place that your money goes. All right, sometimes we, we justify this, right? You're walking down the street in Brickle and someone comes up to you and they ask you for a few dollars. And the Holy Spirit is pricked in you that you should probably maybe give them a few bucks or, or go right next door to the restaurant and get them a meal and give it to them. And you think to yourself, yeah, but they're probably gonna use it for beer. Right? Or they probably don't even want the food. Maybe they, they probably already eaten. I don't know. Why, why would I go waste $10? I mean, they're not, maybe they don't like chicken. I don't know. Right? We can't control where the money goes so we don't give. Even when we felt led to, somebody is in need and we're aware that someone is struggling financially and we think to ourselves, you know what? I'm not going to give to them because, you know what, they put themselves in this position they can get themselves out. Or there's, there's some needs that have been brought to our attention and they need financial generosity and you think to yourself, I really hope that somebody that has more money than me gives to that. You're a brother or sister in Christ. You've been called to be a part of the church and it's very evident that God calls us as a family to give our time, our talent, and our treasure and you think to yourself, okay, I'll give time a little bit of it. I'll give talent a little bit of it. But treasure, I don't know how the church is going to use it. I don't know exactly every little place it's going to be spent. See, we're resistant to scattering freely because we can't control it. But in reality, the reason deep down that we're afraid to be really, truly generous is because we're afraid of losing security and happiness and freedom. We're terrified of that. And Proverbs is not telling you here to give all of your money away without discernment. But it's saying, don't control it. Scatter it freely. Give freely. Where there is need, open up your hands. And when God stirs in you by the power of the Holy Spirit to give, then give. Like you're throwing it out because God has given it to you not to be used for yourself but to be used for others that people might see the richness of Christ. And what happens is that generosity produces in you great joy. As it says, the righteous will experience good. The joy of generosity is powerfully transformative. And you know this every single Christmas. Like every single one of us likes to receive gifts. We like it when we open a gift and that's what we wanted. But when we give a gift to somebody that we really thought about, we went above and beyond. And we spent a little bit more than we were allowed to. We had the cap, right? But we went above it. And then we wrap it up and we give it to them and they're opening it on Christmas. And that, the, the face, right? Like, Wait, what? What does that do? It feels great. It's powerful when you're generous. When you give to somebody that's in need and the gratitude that comes over their face 
It is powerfully transformative. When you give to your church and you come to find and and to hear stories about how God is using your investment and your generosity to care for others and to meet other people's needs and to create and generate a community that is an, an example of the gospel in the city, it is exciting to know that you're invested in it. You're a part of it. You are rewarded with good, but when you hoard and when you're stingy and when you keep it in, you don't get to experience that. You don't experience the joy of generosity. And actually in time, you will come to find that you're gonna be ruined by your insatiable need to accumulate more and use it only for yourself. It's like Walter White. So here's the bottom line. We're to be missional with our money. That is why we've been given resources and money is to be missional with them. And the question is, with your money, do you use your money for your mission or for God's mission? It's a difficult question to ask. You see, the wise and the righteous use their money for the mission of God as they look to bless other people and they scatter freely because they understand that they are rich in Christ. 2 Corinthians 8 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he is God. He has every resource. He is the author and creator of all things. Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He laid it all aside. God became flesh for you, so that you who are poor might become rich. Philippians 2 really helps us to understand this. As Jesus, he, he emptied himself, so he laid aside, he was generous by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God himself was generous for you. He laid aside everything that was his. He became a servant to the point where he gave his life for you because that's how much he values you and how much he loves you, that he will scatter freely his riches so that you who are poor might become rich. And we know we're poor apart from Christ. We are poor apart from Christ, and yet we profit because of Jesus who became poor for our sake. Proverbs 11 reminds us that riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. See, here's the truth. You do not take your possessions with you in eternity. You don't take them. You may fall to the lie that your riches will bring you security now, but you will eventually find ruin. The reality is you cannot spend your capital in eternity, but what Proverbs is reminding you is you can spend it on eternity. You can't spend your capital in eternity, but you can spend it on eternity when you use what God has given you so that others might see the love and the richness of Christ as you are generous, as you open your hands because you have come to realize that you don't need to look for security and happiness and freedom and money. It is not gonna buy it for you. It is not gonna enable it for you. It is only found at the source that is God himself. So when you are rich in Christ, it changes the way that you use your riches. Being rich in Christ results in a poverty of the self. Proverbs 11 says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord but a just weight is his delight. See, in closing, in ancient times, 
they would have these weights that they would form, and they would be like a lion or a, a duck or a turtle, and they would inscribe the weight on the side, and everyone would carry them. The merchants and the traders would carry these little weights, and they were recognizable because they wanted to enable fair trade. Everyone knew this is how much the lion weighed, this is how much the duck weighed, this is how much the bear, whatever weighed. They understood, but there were some people that viewed money as a source of freedom and security and happiness, and they just wanted to keep it to themselves, and they would do whatever they had to do to accumulate more, and so they would take the weights and they would manipulate them. So it looked like a lion on the surface, but it weighed a different amount than all the other ones. So that when they bought, they would give the heavy weights so that they would spend less money, and when they sold, they would bring out a lightweight so that they would receive more See, Proverbs is saying that it is an abomination, it says, when you defraud others for your own sake, when you are not transparent, God delights in a just weight when what you see is what you get. And so here's the really difficult question that Proverbs asks of you and of me. Are you defrauding others by your lack of generosity? It's a difficult question to process because God delights when we understand that we are rich in Christ where we find full and pure and true freedom and happiness and security. Understand that God has granted us our wealth and our resources that we might use them not just for ourselves but for others, that we might scatter it freely and use it for his mission this is something that God delights in. You come to find the joy and the transformation in that. And so the question is, are you missional with your money? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you were rich, but you laid it aside and became poor. God, that we might be rich in you. We ask God that you would humble our hearts and that you would open us up to receive the truth that is your word and Holy Spirit that you would apply it to our heart and to our mind that we would ask the question are we missional with our money are we defrauding others by our lack of generosity God help us not to fall into believing the lie that we're going to buy happiness and buy freedom and buy security with having more money and keeping it to ourselves and but instead remind us that there is power and transformation and joy, lasting joy in generosity. And we know that, God, because we've experienced your generosity. Lord, may you encourage us that you love us enough to give your son on the cross for our sake. May that well up in us understanding that we are free to give because we are a child of you, God. In Jesus' name we pray.